what made ours stand out wasn't necessarily the research, which was really cool. And she did some really good stuff, found really interesting patterns. But it was the fact that we went to the community and reported what we got. It was the fact that we went to the community and handed out filters. And then we're still maintaining a relationship because I'm trying to go back to the community. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the In Our Backyard podcast with your host, Jen Galler. This is the Blue Ridge Environmental Defense League's podcast, where I discuss environmental issues that are happening right in our backyards. This episode, I talk with Dr. Andrew George, who is a community engagement scientist and professor at UNC Chapel Hill. His professional focus is community engagement in environmental problem solving, democratic decision-making, environmental justice, and well water resources. We discuss his citizen science approach, which is also known as crowdsourcing or crowdsource science. It is the growing practice of public involvement in the gathering, analyzing, and sorting of scientific data for research purposes. Formally, citizen science refers to the general public engagement in scientific research activities when citizens actively contribute to science either with their intellectual effort surrounding knowledge or with their tools and resources. With Dr. Andrew George, we discuss his citizen science approach to well water testing in North Carolina, the two brittle chapters that are engaging in this testing, the difference between well water and utility water, the contaminants they're finding, and how he's engaging his UNC students in this research. To contact and connect with Dr. Andrew George will be in the show notes below, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, everyone. I'm with Dr. Andrew George and is a professor at UNC Chapel Hill. So could you talk to me about the project you're undertaking concerning well water? Well, first, let me say thanks for having me. Uh, yeah. It's <laughs> awesome to be talking to Brettel, known Brettel and work with Brettel for 20 something years. And I think we're going to be doing some more fun stuff in the future. And I'm excited to tell you about some of the stuff we just kind of completed in Chatham County and in Northampton. I really like to start the whole conversation thinking about kind of how I got started in this, the well work and thinking about environmental justice had a lot to do with when I got hired in 2015 as a community engagement coordinator. And some folks had just heard about community organizations concerned about drinking water. That really was a, something that arose in the whole coal ash Dan River spill phenomenon. And so in 2014, when that thing happened, people were really concerned and there were groups starting to form and they had a lot of questions about their drinking water. And they approached UNC because we had done some studies in the early 2009, 2010s, where we had looked at all the existing public data on well water in North Carolina. And it turned out that there was not just, you know, a little bit, there was a lot of potential contamination in people's private drinking water. And then on top of that, about one out of four people get their drinking water in North Carolina from a private well. So almost like an eighth of everybody in North Carolina had some kind of contaminated water that we were concerned about when the, the whole coal ash debacle happened they asked us to help out because we could kind of step in and provide tests for free for community members who were less likely to test with the state they definitely were going to test with the private industries and so they trusted unc and we came in and we tested the wells and we actually brought in a duke university professor who could actually do some analysis on specific metals that were really tricky at the moment including chromium six and vanadium and so we went in in Stokes County for the first time that, to really do some of this community engaged work with the community there, many of which were kind of considered a part of an environmental justice community, generally above the state averages for minority status, race, income, class. And so 
we had a really good first project. I felt like I learned a lot. It took us two years to get about 40 samples. And then we also worked in Goldsboro, which is in Wayne County with another community there, the Down East Coalition for Coal Ash Cleanup, both of which were groups that were really concerned about what was in their water and whether or not they were, they should drink their water because originally they were told, don't drink your water. And then they were told, well, wait a minute, you can drink it. And then they were told, wait, no, 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 don't drink it. So they were super confused. They didn't trust the state or anybody. So they, they trusted us. We came in and we made sure that we did what's called bi-directional research design. So we sat down with the community and we said, okay, here's what we can do. Is this kind of what you're interested in? What are we missing? And they were definitely interested in doing some well tests, but part of the community kind of engaged research design means that we are open to new research questions. And two of the questions that they had was, well, look, if you're testing our water from our wells, how do we know that once the water goes through our pipes and comes into our homes, it's not somehow contaminated by our premise plumbing? which was a huge issue at the time because of Flint, Michigan. And then their other question was, well, what if I'm spraying this water on my garden and is it getting absorbed into the plants and then getting into my family? And so those were two things that we built into the study to make sure that we could responsive to their questions. And, and then also we had to make sure we could do it. And we, we were fortunately enough able to bring in a scientist from EPA who could do the soil analysis. And then we used the UNCA Gilling School Fry Lab as a part of the Superfund program to test the premise plumbing. And then we were also testing groundwater right out of the wells. So from the first project that I got involved in, we were doing community engaged research designs. We were kind of responding to their specific questions and two other important parts about community based research is once we had the results, we went back to the community and had several, I think three or even more report back meetings where we summarize everybody's results, but we don't disclose any individual participant or what they might've had, but we show generally what we found across the community. And then in addition to that, we found out and we were actually field testing this thing called the zero water pitcher filter. So it's just like a Brita pitcher, but it was apparently better. And when we heard about it through some of our colleagues at other Superfund research programs, namely Dartmouth. Apparently it worked really well with arsenic and lead, which were two concerns up in that community. Yeah. So in 2018, Hurricane Florence hit. Could you talk about how that impacted this project and the ways that you all had to adapt? Right after we were finishing up Wayne County, Hurricane Florence hit. And that happened the end of 2018. And we basically had to adapt our strategy so that we could be responsive to the community needs at that time, specifically for folks who might not be willing to have somebody come and hang out in their kitchen for 20 minutes and other people who might be willing to participate but didn't want to disclose themselves. So what we did is we, we switched it up and instead, instead of going home to home and spending like 20 or 30 minutes, we designed a citizen science approach. And so what that means is you know, we definitely use the labs and we use all the right equipment, but when we go to collect the samples, we rely on the participants in the study to take the sample and then bring it back to us. And so that allowed us to get the sample bottles out way further, way beyond just our kind of our focused population to the entire community, including communities deep in rural areas that might not have even internet access. Many of them are low literacy. Many of them aren't willing to come in to, to pick up a water bottle to get it tested. So what we did is we had our community partners wherever we were working. So we, we did this in New Hanover where the hurricane hit and where they had hundreds of people with inundated wells, thousands of inundated wells. We worked with the Cape River Keeper there. We did it in the Robinson community with the Robinson River Keeper and the Columbia Tribal Association. And those partners helped us get wells tested that had never been tested. We did it also in Chatham County, working with Bredel, the community down, down there in Moncure called the Chatham Citizens Against Coal Ash Dumps. 
And then we did it in Iredell County, which is a, a site where folks are really concerned about a potential thyroid cancer cluster. And so we handed out bottles there. And, and then it took us about two years to get 40 samples, another 20, you know, over two years, 60 samples to get that done in the first chunk. And by the time we really figured out what we were doing and knew how to kind of build in the citizen science side, we went from 40 or 60 to about 1,300 this last year. Oh, wow. we, we got a huge response. People were really interested in taking their water samples and we could get way more samples that way. And the way we did it was we partnered with Virginia Tech. Uh, and this is the, actually the Mark Edwards lab, who's the same scientist who did the work behind the Flint, Michigan lead debacle. He was the one there that uncovered that problem. And what was the methods you used to get these water samples back and to test them? So we used a citizen science campaign. We basically just mailed out bottles or handed out bottles. People would send them back or hand, drop them off. And then we would bring them up to the Virginia Tech lab. And they had a really good lab. So they could test all the metals that we were interested in and more. And then we did the same method. We sent people their individual results. We provided community report back meetings. And fortunately, because somebody at Zero Water Filter were, were, were willing to to share, you know, share what their resources were. They gave us hundreds of filters for like a quarter of the price. And so we gave out filters throughout the, all these communities and just finished up our last community in Northampton County where we sampled about 100 wells with the community up there. The community itself is, has a really strong community-based organization supported by Brettel and Therese Vick. And so they invited me up because they'd seen what we'd done in Chatham County and some other work. And honestly, it was the, the North. Northampton community made my job the easiest heretofore. I had not, I almost didn't have to do very much at all, except, you know, I went up and introduced ourselves and told people what we were doing. And then I ended up doing a lot of like one-on-one -on -one conversations and we handed out bottles. But then a lot of the work was done by the community groups, by the individuals from the community who went door to door, recruited their neighbors, got the word out on Facebook or on their other devices and networks. And then reached community partners who had never had their wells tested. And actually, if you look at all the people in our study, about 56% of them had never tested their wells before. So with Northampton, man, we really got it rolling smoothly. It was rocking. We had, you know, 100 people signed up for bottles. We got 95 samples back. So we had a really good return rate. We figured out how to do it. We polished it up to the point now where I think we have a pretty good formula for success. But it, now that it's all in this COVID crisis, we're having to rethink our approach even more. However, some of the same principles are still important because I think we're going to be able to do more citizen science work and rely on our community partners now more than ever. So since so much of this was community-based, was there a stressful aspect for you and your team? I mean, the most stressful part of it for me was when we got the bottles out, I had to go up there and pick them all up and package them and make sure I didn't mess them up or mislabel them and then drive them to the UPS store down in Chapel Hill and then mail them. And that was the one, like those are the most stressful three hours of the whole project because you're driving <laughs> with like all these people's water in your car and you just don't want to have anything bad happen to it. So yeah. fortunately we got it back and what happened in Northampton was a really great example of how we improvised and proved our techniques and our strategies and sampling protocols in ways that I think I would not have thought about without the support of the community group. Okay, yeah. So what kind of feedback have you gotten from these communities and what was the confidentiality like? I mean, most of the individual well owners are pretty positive and supportive. I mean, they're getting about $500 worth of free well tests and then we provide them confidential results. If you do a test through the state, you can get, a, it's a test, but it costs about 150, 200 bucks. And then with the stuff that we did, 
individual well owners are getting way more info than they would from the state because we're testing way more metals. And then we also made sure it was confidential. If you test the state, it goes up online. So it becomes a public document. And so, and then we also returned the results in ways that were, we thought were more easily digestible and simpler to understand and not as, you know, didn't have all this scientific jargon in it. We did these report back meetings and handed out filters. So I think from, I haven't gotten any substantive negative comments from anybody who was a part of the study. Um, I know there were a lot of people who were frustrated that we had to cut off the study early in some places because we ran out of bottles, like in Chatham County, Therese Vick and I were setting up at Chatham and I had one location with about 50 bottles and we had another 100 bottles in another spot and it was like two minutes after the things were supposedly opening up, Therese called me and said, we ran out of bottles already and there's 100 people <laughs> in line wanting more bottles and so I had to race across the county to the other location with more bottles and then we ended up running out of those and then we ended up signing people up and sending them bottles. And so that was not as smooth as I'd liked. And I mean, I guess you're, as a scientist, you're never going to complain about having too many samples. Yeah. But um, we were not really ready for that. And some people were a little frustrated we ran out. But honestly, like I never really, we got all the bottles to everybody who wanted one. And that worked out okay. You know, some of the things that we're doing in these communities, we're, we're testing their homes and their wells, and we're trying to find out, like, what's in their water, and that's the first question. So sometimes people get frustrated in response to your question, like, well, what is some of the, you know, feedback we've gotten? I think some of the frustration from people comes from them having expectations that we might find some particular metal, and then that might explain, you know, they might be able to know where it came from, and then that might explain their health consequences. Yeah, and that that kind of goes into my next question of what kind of metals are coming up in these test results, and do you know if they're naturally occurring or not? Honestly, like out of all the communities that we've looked at, we've had very difficult, we've never really been able to slam dunk fingerprint any particular metal, except for some metals that we know are coming out of the premise plumbing. But a lot of the metals that we thought were kind of a obvious no-brainer for potential industrial exposure, like from, you know, some kind of landfill or coal ash turns out are not as easily fingerprinted and tied directly to the source as I had assumed ahead of time. Like for example, chromium six in the scientific literature makes it pretty obvious. If you go to ATSDR, they say that chromium six does not generally occur in nature. And then the Duke university scientist said, well, yeah, but that's true. But you know, we're seeing it all over the place in places that we're not really, you wouldn't expect any coal ash or any other industrial metals to be. We went from 40 samples to for their study, I think the Duke study now is up to, again, like about a thousand. And they're also showing that it could be natural. It could be industrially occurring. It could be both. It could be from something that somebody just dumped in a hole in the 1940s and nobody remembers. And so the hardest thing that I've had to do with community members is to explain why my first goal is to test your water. I want to know what's in your water. I can do my best to explain what's in there and then how it got there. I might not ever know. I might not ever be able to say without, with, you know, 100% confidence, this came from this source. Now, for some metals like lead or copper, it's easy. But for other metals like arsenic and manganese, they are generally naturally occurring. And so, like, manganese shows up in almost a third of all the wells that we have, and they're not anywhere near any potential industrial sources. So they're clearly coming from the ground. Some of the arsenic that we found was potentially in this, what's called the slate belt, where you have a lot of industrial or naturally occurring metals that come up like arsenic right up out of the ground. And there is potential legacy pollution from chicken farming and other agricultural sources. So it's really difficult. And so I just, I'm just straight up with folks. I will test your well. We will do it for free. We'll make it confidential. We'll blend what we find, but can't guarantee we'll ever tell you how it got there. 
And then what they really want to know is even more how it got there. Is this potentially an explanation for why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling? Yeah. People have health concerns and they definitely want some evidence that explains why they're feeling that way. And if they can point to a source that's has an evil actor necessarily, that's the problem. It makes it easier. But if you look at 99.999% of all environmental health studies that have tried to find some causality between environmental pollution and cancer have never been able to do it. There's only been like one study that ever conclusively showed this pollution was causing this cancer outcome. So I, I'm trying, we're going to keep trying. In fact, for example, in Northampton County, you know, we found some interesting metals there that don't really appear to be naturally occurring, but until we have some explanation for where they came from, I don't want to lead the community down some road and end up saying, Hey, you know what? We thought we might be able to know we don't. So the same thing in the the community in Iredell County and thyroid cancer clusters. I mean, there's clearly some cancer related environmental exposure going on, but we looked at the water and it just didn't seem that the water had the right kind of contaminants that would explain thyroid. So thyroid cancer is generally something that could be from like radiation or those types of exposures, but we didn't see a lot of those type of radioactive chemicals in their water. We did see some uranium, but not to the extent at which it would explain the kind of cancer that they're seeing in their community. So sometimes like the hardest job I I have is just convincing people like we might not ever know how this got there or why it got there or what it's doing to your body, but we can kind of guess what maybe what's going on with your body. But before we even get there, we have to know what's in your water. And that's the first step. And we can do it for free. We can keep it confidential. And we try to make sure we explain what we find. Yeah. Yeah. That has to be hard. Just letting them know that like, we're going to try, but we might not get the answer that you're looking for or get an answer. Nobody wants to know more than me. I mean, of course, probably some of the well owners, but I mean, actually I had my private well tested and I have some metals in my well that I had originally thought could not be there unless it was industrial pollution. And they were there and I'm not near a lot of industrial pollution. So they either have to be naturally occurring or maybe somebody dumped something down a hole on the other side of the mountain that I will never know. And so I have to kind of just set that aside and start thinking, okay, well, what are the health protective measures I can take right away? And that includes filters. That includes Mm -hmm. making sure that like maybe I flush my water a little bit before I drink it. Some of those things. Right. Yeah. And I was looking and it said an estimated 3.3 million North Carolinians, which is 15% of the state rely on groundwater wells for drinking, bathing and cooking. So why, why is so much of North Carolina on well water? Well, we are like the top four or five in the country for the amount of people on private drinking water wells. Um, it might be a function of just so many people in the state are in rural areas. We have, we have a really unique state in that we have a coast, we have Piedmont and the mountains. And so there might be kind of a geographic explanation for that. But I think, you know, that's a really good question. I'm not really sure why we have so many wells compared to the rest of the country, but we do. And it's kind of interesting because sometimes if you compare well water to utilities, I would drink well water over utility water in a heartbeat. Some of the water that's coming out of the utilities, they clean it, but they can only clean it down to a certain level. And some stuff that's in their wa- in the water, like PFAS or these prefluorinated chemicals, they can't necessarily even clean if they try. Yeah. And they are trying. And then they're also allowed to have certain levels of metals. And the reason they have those levels in these utilities is because they're not setting the rules based on health. They're ba- setting the rules based on health and how feasible it is to keep everybody as healthy as we can. So it's a trade-off between engineering and scientific know-how and the, the cost of cleaning people's utility water and then the health measurements. Whereas if I'm drinking my well water, I'm not doing any trade-offs. There's no think about, well, 
how clean do I want it? I want it as clean as possible. I don't want to take any risk when I'm talking about, you know, my kids drinking water. So that's why the utilities are not only kind of makes me concerned because they aren't cleaning it down to real health protective measures, but there's also politics involved in how those measures are set. And of course, for the private wells, there are no regulations that apply to private wells. The only thing that, that you have to do in North Carolina, if you have a private well, is you have to get it tested when you build the well. And then there's some evidence that if you get a mortgage, you have to show you have a you know clean water. But most of the time in North Carolina, if you have a private well and it's already built, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to test it. If you find something in it, you don't have to clean it. The only actual trigger that might even occur is if you have a lot of lead in your water and you have children in the home and they go and get a health checkup and they have a lot of elevated blood lead levels, that will trigger a state action. But generally, there are, it's the Wild West. Like People could go for forever and never test their well. And the problem is a lot of these metals that are in the wells, are you can't taste, smell, or touch them. These are what are called mm -hmm. organoleptics. You just can't sense that they're there. You have to test them to know that they're there. And unfortunately, if people wait too long for the evidence that they're there to, to come out in their bodies, it's already too late. So, you know, with about a quarter, I think, I think it's actually a quarter of North Carolinians well water. And then another substantial number of utilities get their water from deep groundwater wells. You know, a lot of people are relying on these groundwater sources and, and that's why they're so important. Yeah. Yeah, that it's interesting. So you're engaging not only your community, but your UNC students. How are you engaging your students with all this? That's a great question. And I, I think the best example is what happened yesterday for me. I'm a, a community engagement scientist. What that basically means is I go out in the communities and I try and, and, and explain what the less clear scientists are trying to say from the labs. And so mm -hmm. I literally feel like it's sometimes I'm a translator and I translate from yeah. <laughs> like Southern to lab. I mean, and so a lot yeah. of the people in the labs, English is not their first language either. So like I literally am a translator sometimes and, and not just like language, but also customs. Like when somebody says, yeah, you know, we're interested in this, but that doesn't mean like I want you to take my data and disappear either. Mm -hmm. Or the labs might need to be able to explain like, look, we can test this or this, but only down to this level. So sometimes if there are technical kind of things that I have to explain. So that's really what I do most of the time and going and recruiting well owners into studies. But my job also includes teaching. And fortunately enough, I was able to keep teaching when I took this job five years ago. I've been teaching for, I guess, almost 20 years at UNC. And okay, maybe 16 years. And <laughs> the the best part about teaching is, well, when it first started off, I was doing a lot of interesting work with stuff that was not necessarily directly related to my research, like solar energy and public participation on solar energy. And we looked at biomass facilities and other interesting questions. But for the last several years, I've been able to bring in my students into my studies. And so because a lot of this data that is available is publicly available online. So if you get your test, you're, you're well tested through the state, I can go online and find your results. Now, that also is a disincentive because people don't want to necessarily have their wells go up online, especially if they have contaminants and they want to sell their home. But the wells that are tested that go through the state public health lab are available. And so that has given us thousands and thousands and thousands of samples to explore. And so for the last couple of years, you know, basically what I've done is we work with a different group. So like in Chatham County, where we work with Brettel and the Chatham group in Northampton, where we work with Brettel and what we do is we collect all the well data and then we look at who the, who the well owners are and we use GIS software and like mapping to explain are they, you know, in a community that's generally low income and 
what we call environmental justice metrics. And basically environmental justice is another way of explaining why certain communities are facing disproportionate burdens or unfair burdens of pollution, which you know is really just a product of decades and centuries of institutional racism and mm-hmm. marginalization. And what uh, somebody explained yesterday is, you know, almost like a legacy of slavery. So those are the communities where I think our studies can be the most helpful and where my students are really the most excited to, to support. And so if I tell these students, hey, look, we're going to go look at drinking water and potential you know, industrial pollution and environmental justice, I have, I mean, no problem recruiting students. And so, like, for example, the most recent one in Northampton County, we just went and we did all the recruiting. One of our students came up and helped me do the recruiting. And then this last semester, they went, my students went and looked at all the publicly available data that's out there. They couldn't use my private well test because, like I said, that's protected. But we looked at the public data and we did analysis that explained, for example, of all the public wells in Northampton County, a lot of them would be you know, considered environmental justice communities. And a lot of them had contaminants. Like, for example, about 50% of the wells that we looked at, at least in one study, had cobalt. And that's not generally a naturally occurring metal. So we were able to kind of explore patterns of contamination and potential exposure. And then when we have the results, we're going to go back to the community. But actually for the first, you know, I guess, cut of the results, we went back to Northampton and I brought two of my students with me, actually three of my students, and they helped me kind of disseminate the materials and hand out filters and explain individual results. So having the students there, I think is I mean, maybe this is kind of a pay it forward thing for me because when I was an undergrad up at App State and, you know, I had a couple mentors who pushed me in one direction or another and I ended up in a really cool internship and then I ended up working with groups like Brettel in the 90s and mm-hmm. Lou and Janet who were really, you know, influences on my work and helped me and, you know, helped me stay true to the cause and not sell out, not compromise. And I think yeah. having Brettel as one of my formative experiences really help me be kind of willing to take on questions that might be a little bit risky, but I'm willing to take the risk because I'm not on, a, I'm not also your normal professor. I like, I'm not on a tenure track. I'm a kind of a research scientist and lecturer. So I'm not really going for tenure. So I don't, I can take on topics that might be, you know, looked down on if, if you were, you know, maybe hoping to get some major federal grants that would apply to your tenure. So for me, like I can stay true to the Brettel ethic and to the, you know, the other groups that I work with. For me, like I feel like I can take on these really exciting topics, bring students in. Nobody's going <laughs> to complain that the topics are boring. But then it also brings a little bit of anxiety because we have to provide something that's meaningful. We can't just kind of and do some analysis and stick it up on a on a web page and disappear. Like we have to go back to the community, explain what we found. And sometimes that's not easy. Like the most recent meeting, one of the partners, community members there introduced me to a study participant who had elevated lead levels in their water and they had kids in their home and they had never tested their well before. They'd been drinking the water for a long time. And so I had to be able to be honest and straightforward about what I found. But then I also have to think creatively about making sure that I don't terrify folks to the point where they're just super beaten down and you know hopeless and so part of that means that like we hand out these filters so the filters are a really important part of kind of the community engagement work so that we don't feel like we're just like hey we found something terrible and we're out you know we have a we have something that we can explain we explain it in a way that they can understand and we have these free filters that are easily replaced and they're just like a Brita filter now I should say though that you know some people were not as happy with the Brita filters uh, with these pitcher filters because it's a temporary thing. I mean, you can't really use a pitcher filter for your whole life. You can't use it for taking baths. You can't use it for, you know, you know, brushing your teeth necessarily, but the filters 
are they actually really work really well we know they work on these metals they're relatively affordable they're not like some under the kitchen system where you know you you break it you don't even know how it's broken they're replaceable so yeah they're not a permanent solution but we feel like they're something that we can leave folks with and at least really you know we have some kind of health protective improvements before we've we've gone to the next community so all of those things i think to answer your question really help bring students through the whole research process and, and it's a community-based research process and so they can kind of see these things kind of go from the start to finish and feel like that they've done something good and when i say pay it forward like hopefully they'll go out and do work and bring this stuff to the conferences so what i was going to say was yesterday one of my students who was using this data on the state public health lab data was presenting at something called the break the cycle conference that was a uh, generally every year in Atlanta and this year was online of course but anyway she got the community engagement award for the type of work that they were doing despite her only being an undergrad and all these other really highly sophisticated PhD people were also at the conference what made our stand out wasn't necessarily the research which was really cool and she did some really good stuff found really interesting patterns but it was the fact that we went to the community and reported what we got it was the fact that we went to the community and handed out filters and then we're still maintaining a relationship because i'm trying to go back to the community and the state called me up and said hey we got all this money we need to do testing where should we go and i'm like ah, we're going up to northampton i mean mm -hmm. they need repeat tests we, we've got this kind of conversation going and in addition to that we're also working with northampton to i'm trying to bring them in conversation with the virginia tech scientists who might be able to do some interesting fingerprinting because we're not going to give up on that either so anyway, to answer your question, like there's, there's so much for students to learn through this process. Hopefully they'll kind of come through it and, and it'll be hard, but they'll grow. And then in the future, they'll do something that helps other communities that, that need it. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. That's, that's really cool that she won that award for the community engagement aspects. Is there anything that we didn't cover or touch on that you want to speak on? I mean, I guess I should just say that like with this COVID thing, what I'm really afraid of is, I mean, hopefully everybody's staying home. Hopefully mm -hmm. everybody's not going out and but in addition to that, we need to prepare for kind of a double whammy or even a triple whammy. We need to be preparing for what's going to happen this year when we get another Hurricane Florence, because we're probably going to. The active hurricane season predictions are off the charts for this year. Or like in the West Coast, wildfires. What's going to happen when we have these double whammies or triple whammies? COVID and then the seasonal flu and then a hurricane. So hopefully these are, these are just out of, blown out of proportion kind of paranoid delusions of my own but I'm afraid, you know, that they, that they might not be. And so we have to kind of keep going, work together, you know, keep everybody safe, take care of each other and realize that things are bad. They could get worse, but hopefully we'll stay home. We'll avoid the worst of some of these climate change related events and we can all get through this on the other end and we will potentially appreciate life a little bit differently <laughs> given that today is the 50th anniversary of Earth Day. Uh, mm -hmm. I think it's really ironic that we are seeing some of the cleanest skies that we've ever heard, seen, you know, some of the migratory bird species and, and some of these phenomena that are happening with nature right now without all this industrial pollution. You know, it's terrible that this is how we had to come to this, but it's interesting that despite this problem that we're in, we're seeing some really interesting signs of hope. So let's hold on to those. Let's take care of each other. Let's get through this. And then we can, we can go sample some wells in 2021. And then where can people contact or connect with you? Well, of course, go Tar Heels. I'm over here at UNC, Chapel mm -hmm. Hill. The best way to reach me is andrewg at unc.edu. I'm always on email, but also you can call me if you have any direct questions at 828-280-6956. 
yeah, feel free to give me a call. Uh, and if other communities have questions or if people have ideas about how to engage with communities, especially in this COVID moment, we really want to hear from folks. So please feel free to reach out to me anytime. Thank you so much to Dr. Andrew George for talking with me about all your research and testing. And just as a follow-up from the North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services, it states an estimated 15% of Americans or about 45 million people get their water from private groundwater wells. About 2.4 million North Carolinians rely on groundwater as their primary drinking water source. Since 2008, all newly constructed drinking water wells in North Carolina must be tested for bacterial and chemical contaminants within 30 days of well completion. However, there are no other required tests for private wells in North Carolina. This all emphasizes Dr. Andrew George's work and need for well water testing. I'm also going to link articles to his work down below, so feel free to check those out. And tune in next Friday for a new episode and have a good week, everyone.